I think really identifying what you as a company are most uniquely qualified to deliver to the world and to your customer. I think that is the hardest, if not the most important conversation that you can have and you can also give to your marketer. Everything you put out as a brand should be interesting. It should be relevant to your consumer. And not only you, but also your employees should be proud of the final product. So why then are so many brands finding that the people who work so hard on and actually create the marketing materials aren't sharing the end result? That's the exact question I had for Max Summit when she joined the show. Max Summit is a marketing consultant who's worked with some of the biggest brands in the world. Adidas, Lululemon, Athleta, the list goes on. And regardless of the brand, whether they sell online or in brick and mortar, Max knows that the true connection with customers start with the connection to the internal employees. On this episode of Up Next in Commerce, Max discusses all the ways that brands should be doing internal pulse checks and reinventing their mission in order to make their marketing materials hit home with customers. Plus, she explains how brands should be thinking about ways to become resources for customers beyond just being a provider of goods and services. And she gives examples from her days at Lululemon that any company can learn from. And finally, Max and I discuss where VR and AR can come into play in all of this. Enjoy the episode. Really quick, I want to say thank you, thank you to our awesome sponsor, Salesforce Commerce Cloud. And I'm going to allow them to give you the inside scoop into some of the findings from their most recent State of Commerce report. Hi, this is John from Salesforce. Did you know that companies of all sizes and industries power their digital customer journeys with Commerce Cloud? Salesforce Commerce Cloud delivers B2B and B2C commerce, as well as order management around the globe. And with Commerce Cloud, you can engage with your customers anywhere and personalize interactions everywhere. Scale and innovate with ease and drive some serious growth for your business. And speaking of innovation, we recently surveyed nearly 1,400 commerce leaders and analyzed the consumer shopping and business buying behavior of more than 1 billion customers worldwide. And we uncovered emerging trends that will influence how companies can be successful and stay ahead in this ever-evolving landscape. To check out the trends we discovered, go to sfdc.co slash commerce insights. That's sfdc.co slash commerce insights, one word. Before we get started, I wanted to remind you to subscribe to our weekly e-commerce newsletter at mission.org slash upnext in commerce. It's amazing. It's great. You will learn a lot of good things. Go subscribe. everyone, and welcome back to Up Next in Commerce. This is Stephanie Postles, CEO at Mission.org and your host. Today on the show, we have Max Summit, who's a brand marketing consultant. Max, welcome to the show. Thanks, Stephanie. I'm really happy to be here. I'm happy to have you too. So with you, I want to start back in your personal story. Growing up in Brazil, you have a very interesting story around medical issues and growing up in this very creative household very intriguing household. So I want to kind of hear just your background before we dive into what you're doing today. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So uh, let's see the elevator pitch here. So I was born in Boston, but actually raised in Brazil. Uh, I am the proud daughter of a ballerina turned designer, my mother. And my father was very uh, musically inclined. Like he had a lot of passions around art and music, even though eventually he really poured, I think, the majority of his time into tech and entrepreneurship. Um, But my upbringing in Brazil, I think, was anything but traditional. My stepbrother and I, we used to spend our summers down on the beach, barefoot on the sand, like falling asleep to the stars at night. 
my granddad would sometimes uh, pick us up after school on a Friday. We would drive down to the beach and we would spend the weekend on the boat, which was awesome and really lovely. I think, you know, I think as a child, you kind of take in these experiences as they come. But when you live as an adult, you oftentimes, I think, look back and reminisce and you think, how can I also provide that, you know, for the next generation or, or for myself and my own kids? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think it's just, it's, it, it, was, it was a very interesting upbringing, very dynamic. I think absolutely it was not uh, traditional by any means. I think that existence and that relationship that I was taught at a young age to be embraceive of nature and, and be embraceive of human experiences, I think ultimately led me down to this path in brand marketing unknowingly. But that's where I am today. Mm-hmm. It's just really embracing, I think, storytelling and identifying the unique patterns and behaviors of organizations that can really communicate something to the world and to the people around them in a way that I think makes sense for today's audience and today's consumer. I love that. I, I'm just having an entire movie playing out in my head, imagining you on the beaches. Also, now I'm like, I need to go to Brazil. That's the next step for me. Yeah, it's funny. I, I'm definitely painting a more poetic uh, <laughs> existence. You know, I definitely think my, my brother and I, we were quite mischievous as well. So I think mm-hmm. that playful character and that playful nature, I think, you know, also lends itself well for a role in marketing. Um, mm-hmm. Although sometimes in a leadership position, you can't be as playful as you'd like to be. Um, but it's definitely, I think, helped me get to where I am today for sure. I love that. And tell me a bit about, um, I know you had a medical scare, I think it was around like 15 or something. And I was reading a quote where you're saying, kind of changed the way I thought about everything. And I wanted to hear a bit about that because I'm sure it's impacted even where you're at today. Yeah, um, absolutely. So as I said, you know, I grew up in Brazil. Sports, I think, was is very much a part of the the culture and the DNA there. You know, I did everything from soccer to swimming to equestrian, and eventually, I I think I I really found my place in volleyball. Right, it was really the sport where I felt most comfortable. You know, I had great mentors and great coaches who identified like long term potential, and I think you know saw an ability for me to do it even professionally at some point in my life. And my family and I really invested a lot of time and energy, you know, going to games, getting the proper coaching, the proper training. And uh, I was in a final match, like a a pre-qualifier for for you to be on the national team. And I came down from a jump serve and I remember hearing this massive, like shattering pop that kind of like went from my ankle all the way down to my hip. And essentially I ripped six ligaments on my leg. Um, my Achilles, my hip tendon, my ACL, my MCL, you name it. Ah. And essentially it was just one go. And it was in that recovery phase um, where, you know, in post-op, like I went through a surgery and I was recovering and we were flying back from Brazil where my leg really began to swell and um, the pain sort of intensified over the course of, of the plane ride. And when we landed back in Boston, um, it had really gotten to a place where it felt extremely uncomfortable. And my mother and I, of course, you know, back then there, there wasn't a lot, I think uh, wasn't a lot of research and knowledge around clotting, you know, and how that happens post-operatively and how flying can sometimes intensify that. So I think we were really um, uneducated around some of those uh, medical complications that you can face. So we kind of, you know, shrugged it off as it was a 13 hour plane ride. You know, your leg is probably swollen from the compression or decompression. You know, we didn't really think much of it. And we went to bed and um, I woke up in the middle of the night in really intensified pain, not really understanding what was happening. And I remember my mother sort of um, really rushing up upstairs, right? And because I was calling for her, I was like yelling like, mom, 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 something's wrong. And when we pulled the sheets over, my, my leg was 
like gangrene. It was blue, black, every color that you can imagine. You know, I think all the capillaries were sort of just exploding sub- subcutaneously. And um, one of the last things that I remember was actually my mother kind of grabbing me by my shoulders to try to calm me down. And this feeling of like, a, almost like, a, I would say, a, I think I used this on, on the on the interview as well, of like a champagne cork, you know, when it explodes, like it mm-hmm. just happens in, in an instant. And when that sensation happened, everything kind of just melted away. And what we found out weeks later when I woke up in the hospital was that the expansion of the leg was really what's known as a DVT, like a deep vein thrombosis. And the clotting had literally originated in my ankle and had gone all the way to my knee and a piece of it dislodged and went into my lung. And when that happens, your body's deprived of oxygen and it sort of shuts down. And I experienced all of this at age 15, um, which I think for a normal 15 year old, you know, everyone is planning prom, mm-hmm. everyone's crying around their first boyfriend, you know, if they're lucky, maybe they're celebrating their one year anniversary with their high school sweetheart. And for me, I spent the majority of my 15 years in a hospital bed at Mass General in Boston. Oh I think the realization of life and um, how fragile it is and how limited our time is, and it can be on this planet, I think um, was reintroduced to me at an age where most teenagers aren't thinking of that. And I yeah. think it's just allowed me to sort of move through the world a little bit more intentionally. And in a way, I think I've been seeking a greater sense of purpose since so that if I were to find myself in another hospital bed, you know, hopefully I won't have, you know, as many regrets or as desires as I thought I had at age 15. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I have goosebumps with your story right now. I feel like we could just make that the entire episode (laughs) talking about how to live an intentional life. Oh my gosh. That's wild. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think if anything too, COVID has in a way, I think shed light for a lot of individuals. I think um, a lot of families, a lot of my close friends and um, even professional mentors, I think everyone has sort of used this as an opportunity to self-assess, right? Mm-hmm. And reevaluate and really measure the scales of life. Yeah, that's amazing story. Um, so I want to dive into the brand aspect of things. You said an a, you know, interesting quote early on before the interview that you kind of stumbled into it. You did not plan to get into this world. But I mean, when you look at your roster of brands that you've served, it's wild. So first, talk about how you got into this world and also some logos just to show people like, you know, obviously what you're doing. Yeah, sure. So yeah, I definitely, um, I'm definitely lucky. I'm going to say, I think, I think luck is a big aspect of it. But yeah, I essentially, you know, I studied philosophy and English in college which is so bizarre to think that someone who studied those two fields would eventually end up in in marketing. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, I think the way everything kind of cascaded and fell into play was really um, at the root of it was just having fantastic leaders and mentors, you know, who identified my potential, who I think understood the reward that comes with sort of um, molding someone and bringing them into the process and giving them the right opportunities that I think really shed light on their personal aspects, but also their professional aspirations. And um, the way I fell into this industry was, so actually I started in nonprofit worlds, Mm -hmm. really volunteering, you know, kind of like taking gigs as they came, um, mostly in the creative part. So I did a lot of like pre-production, post-production work. Um, I started, then I eventually went into graphic design. I did a graphic design 
uh, residency for about two years and then eventually got pulled into copywriting. Then from copywriting, I did video. So kind of doing the gamut of all the art functions. Mm -hmm. And I realized in that process that I actually sucked at all of them. Bummer. <laughs> I, was, I was like, I was good enough to have, I think, a general understanding, like an introductory level, but I... I very quickly on like realized that I was never going to be like the director of copywriting yeah. or the director of photography. Which is kind of a beautiful thing because it's answers a lot of questions for you. I mean, I've had many of those experiences where I'm like, well, thank you life for showing me that's just not my thing and I can move on now. <laughs> yeah. And also um, it takes a lot of, I think, gut too, to tell yourself I suck at something. Yeah, right? I'm going to own it. I suck. <laughs> and I kind of need to find something else that I enjoy. Mm -hmm. Um but I, I knew that I wanted to be in a creative function, right? But I think what ultimately what was missing, I think, from, from all those experiences was the afterthought, right? So the strategic side of it. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, got my footing in the door actually as a freelance graphic designer uh, working at Adidas. And the way that sort of happened was, was really through networking, right? So, you know, when I said that I was really hustling and trying to get gigs on the side, that's literally what I was doing. I was identifying, you know, Meet and greets. That's right. Like I use meet and greets, which back then was meetups.com, you mm -hmm. know, at work, like in my local community, I would raise my hand at any volunteer opportunities for races or um, local community events. You know, at the time I was living in Boston and Adidas was a big sponsor for the Boston Marathon. And again, like I raised my hand and said, you know, can I do any graphic design work? You know, do you guys need help? Like as a volunteer, it was just saying yes until um, someone and something was willing and ready to bring me on board. And I started as a volunteer graphic designer. And from there, you know, that role quickly became um, a little bit more robust in nature. So, you know, one project led to another. It went from being freelance graphic design to, would you like to support us at a photo shoot? You know, would you like to do some post-production work for us? And yeah, things just kind of like fell into place. And, you know, it took a very wonderful mentor and a very lovely boss, like I said, to really identify that potential in me and sort of tapped me on, on the virtual shoulder and said, hey, I think your place is actually in brand. It's not in creative. Like I shared with you guys, I knew that already. Like I sucked at all four fields. You know, I hadn't yet gotten that golden offer, right? Like that golden ticket to kind of come in full time. Mm -hmm. And he offered me a job. He said, you know, we're starting a new division at Reebok. Um, at the time he was moving over from the Adidas side onto the, the BU Classic side. I'll be overseeing the division there and we need a brand manager. You know, would you like to kind of like take a chance on life and take a chance on this opportunity? And need, needless to say, I said yes. And yeah. um, things really cascaded and kind of fell into place after that. And just to throw some logos out there, like you asked, you know, from, from Reebok, I went to Lululemon, uh, from Lululemon, I then joined a much smaller, but reputable brand in Canada, uh, called Lole. And then from Canada, most recently, I was the director of marketing over at Athleta, which is a gap in company. Wow. Yep. Yep. Awesome logos, of course, which is why I was like, you have to name drop them. That's a really fun story about, you know, getting that invite and having someone bet on you before you even knew if you could enter into that world. I want to talk about brand in general and defining a strong brand because you've worked at some amazing companies now who have done just that and they've been able to develop this following and stay true to brand. And you just see the cohesiveness when you look at what they're doing everywhere. You get it instantly. So what do you think defines a strong brand today? Like, how do you go about building that? It's a great question and it's definitely evolved. You know, I think when I first started my career in this journey, you know, working in 
performance sports, right? Endurance mm-hmm. sports. I think, you know, it was very much um, benefit led like marketing, right? So it was mm-hmm. really about, you know, the best shoes who kind of, you know, take you on the longest run or, you know, yes, yeah, sometimes you got the occasional, you know, this is the shoe that was designed by Michael Jordan, right? There's a yeah. little bit of like that celebrity, like persona aspect to it. But when I really began this journey, it was very product marketing, right? It was very benefits led, you know, it was a very simplified message. I think there were very little brands that understood and promoted, I think, um, mission-driven content, right? And like purpose-led communication. You know, Nike, I think, was one of the first in the industry to sort of package that up and present in a way that was digestible to the consumer. Mm-hmm. I think where we're at now today is most brands, if not all, I think need to have a purpose-led message um, or at least a mission-driven DNA aspect to their brand. I think consumers are demanding more out of brands. I think that now more than ever, they are, they're equipped with knowledge and the tools to actually do the research, right? Which I think before, oftentimes, again, the brands really held that power. They could really decide if and when to release messages around sustainability, mm-hmm. messages around diversity, equity, inclusion. You know, everything was very much calculated, I think, 10, 15 years ago in marketing. Now, if consumers can't find that information on day one on your website or through your social channels, they'll likely walk away and they'll likely go to another brand um, whose mission and purpose is more overtly like available on site as well as in their social channels. Mm -hmm. So when you're approaching brands that maybe don't already have this, how do you go about it in a way that keeps it authentic? Because, you know, throughout all the things that have been happening the past year or two, maybe you see brands quickly trying to lean into something and be like, oh, we're in that space too. Oh, we're doing that well. And then a lot of them end up, you know, one week later, two weeks later, whatever it is, it's gone. And that can actually do more harm probably than not having anything at all. So how do you approach that? Because it feels like a tricky space to play in. It is. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's definitely a hard question that you have to ask yourself and your organization. You know, what are you as a company, you uniquely qualified to give to the world, right? Mm-hmm. Because I think it is that unique nature that me as a brand marketer can package up and I can create a strategy behind and a communications and really kind of um, elevate that and present that to the rest of the world. You know, I think the brands that are struggling, like you mentioned, you know, some are having to pull back uh, are the brands that aren't having those honest conversations with themselves, right? Mm-hmm. I think they're their desire to want to jump on something that is currently mainstream, but not necessarily an element that trickles down back to their DNA and their structure and their organization. It doesn't take long before it's a, it's a domino effect, right? It doesn't take long before you see all of the pieces kind of like falling at the same place. Um, but I think really identifying what you as a company are most uniquely qualified to deliver to the world and to your customer I think that is the hardest, if not the most important conversation that you can have and you can also give to your marketer. Hey there, are you enjoying the show so far? Well, imagine your company's advertising placed right in this very spot during a future interview with another elite e-commerce mind. Imagine your messaging and logo directly connected to the industry's most prominent innovators and thought leaders, distributed across every major podcast platform and social network. Yeah, well, it's time to stop imagining. Learn how you can partner with Upnext in Commerce and sponsor this very show. Reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org and let's have a conversation. How do you go about measuring how a brand's doing? I mean, I'm thinking about what consumers say versus how they really feel. I mean, 
a good quote, maybe not a quote, but a summary from the CMO of UPS. They came on another show of ours and they said that they had really good brand recognition. People trusted them, but a lot of their consumers saw them as like an old and stodgy company. So they had to like rethink their marketing because of that. But I'm like, if you would have just heard the first piece of like, oh, we have a great brand, recognition, trust. I'm just going to stop there. I'm good. Versus getting into the details of like, and it's a yes, and they also think this. How do you go about measuring, you know, a brand's performance or how the consumers actually view them? I love that quote too. Like, you know, taking um, a soundbite and turning it into like an actionable insight. Mm -hmm. I will probably say something that's a little bit more controversial, but that's like in my nature. Um, I love that. I love internal like employee pulse checks. You know, Mm -hmm. I think for me, the true measure of whether your work is adding any value or is exciting people is whether or not your employees are naturally promoting that work. Mm -hmm. Very often it does not happen. Like you would be shocked how many times, like even sitting in a marketing function, living it, like day in, day out, going through the blood, sweat and tears, will team members kind of refrain from posting? You know, I think it's just, there, there's, there's very little work that I think is being put out into the world today where employees like take pride, you know, in wanting to showcase mm-hmm. it and really wanting to advocate for it. Yeah. So my way of measuring success is if you can take a head count around the table and if every member from your team posted, shared it, communicated was proud, you know, to kind of like wear it as an emblem. I think you've succeeded in your role first and foremost. If you're just relying on that customer, if you're just relying on that external feedback, I, again, I think you failed as an organization, as a mentor, and, and as a leader internally. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's really good. I'm thinking about different types of companies that probably definitely have an easier time. I'm thinking like the nonprofit world. I mean, people go there, maybe not always getting paid the highest, but they are there for a mission. Versus maybe other companies where people are there for the money or it's a trend. I mean, how do you think about actually getting that feedback? I mean, are you literally going around the room being like, did you share? Did you share? Or how do you do it at scale if it's a team of thousands? It's so great. You know, I, I, I love like internal surveys. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think anytime, I always love doing postmortems, right? Like after a campaign or after we, we deliver an action, right? Because sometimes it doesn't have to be a piece of creative content. It could just, it could be a, public commitment, right? That you as an organization decided to make and that structurally made sense. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes employees are more willing and ready to share public commitments than they are pieces of content. But yeah, anyway, to answer your question, you know, I'm a really big advocate of like doing postmortems and in those postmortems, I think, you know, an internal employee pulse check with a a survey, I think is Mm -hmm. most often the best way to kind of conduct that, that type of review process. I also found that, um, allowing employees to share feedback anonymously. Yeah. I think people are always more hesitant to sort of put their name behind the feedback, but I realized very quickly in my review process at the moment, I allowed people the freedom to actually say what they really thought without having to, to uh, put their name behind it. I think the, the amount of feedback that we got was um, just astronomically higher, I think, by nature. I also really love, um, you know, when we are speaking about like obtaining external feedback, I think social media has done a great job with that depending on which channels your organization is most active in, you know, for me, athletic apparel, social is kind of the epicenter right now over all the mm-hmm. community activities happening. I love doing, you know, um, pulses and, and, and customer surveys uh, on Instagram. I think it's such a great way for you to get uh, feedback in real time. It can also be very eye-opening. So when, when you capture your audience's attention, right, you have like a brief second to really sort of engage with them. 
And if they've already made that first move, I think that to me is a lot more telling for a brand and organization than if you were to kind of conduct like customer insights and like this extensive, you know, like six month interview process where you're most likely bringing in individuals that aren't actively engaging with your brand. But yeah, on that aspect, I will tip my hat to Instagram, I think, for introducing that feature um, a thousand times over again. I've actually used it numerous times, not only for feedback on creative and campaigns that we've brought to market, but also as a way to guide our strategy, right? So like, um, I love uh, doing polls where we basically ask our community, you know, what kind of content would you like to see us, you know, produce more? It's sometimes it's, the answer doesn't have to be very philosophical. It can be very direct. It can be very simple. And the responses that you get can actually dictate the course of almost an entire season. And I've mm-hmm. definitely uh, done that before. <laughs> yeah. So are you doing that for some of the brands like Athleta or, and how did you structure the polls to get actionable feedback? Yes. Yeah. So, you know, I think Athleta is a great example, especially during COVID, right? It's hard to think back where I was a year and a half ago, but, you know, I remember having just moved to San Francisco for the job. I think I was in the office for a total of seven and a half days. Uh, The city just shut down. Oh yeah. Yep. No one knew what to do, you know, and the organization, you know, didn't know what to do. I think as employees, I think everyone was kind of on a standstill. But again, the community and our audience demanded responses. They demanded actions, right? And I think um, our social media team, I think, definitely um, held the like the grunt of that work. You know, they're mm-hmm. they're kind of at the battlefields like every single day, right? Whether it's delivering good news or tapering in bad news. And so I think there was a lot of immediate actions that we took, and we really utilized social, I think, to sort of dictate the course of how we would. I don't want to use the word market, but really communicate where we were as an organization, right? Because everything was kind of at a standstill for 30 days. And it was really through that engagement and like those backend DMs, like those poll surveys mm-hmm. that I think we really found power in the voice of our community. And we also understood what it really meant as a brand to show up for your community, right? So one of the things that quickly became evident as the the city kind of started shutting down was that the majority of our our members at Athleta were business owners, right? Female owned Mm -hmm. businesses, which some of that meant that they owned their own studios, yoga studios, gym studios. And those were the first to be impacted by COVID. And so how do you as a brand support that community in a way that isn't related to product? You know, and I think for Athleta being under the umbrella of Gap Inc., we decided to really uh, create a financial resource for a lot of these uh, female-owned businesses where as a member of the athletic community, you could apply for a grant or a funding that could really, um, for some moms and for some women, could really help keep their business afloat, you know, Mm -hmm. for the unforeseeable future, which is where we were at the beginning of COVID. I love that. And did you kind of find out more about who needed that help or what kind of help they needed through social media, like you said, through those DMs or through even just asking? a combination of social media and our retail teams, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I think especially working in the apparel industry, we forget that, you know, retail is not dead, right? And if you have a retail structure that is highly connected to your community, they oftentimes know more about your consumer than you do sitting at HQ, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's really that shareability from the boots on the ground, you know, yeah. I hate using the word like bottom up, but I think that's really the mindset, right? Mm-hmm. Less so this top down mentality and really about like 
what are you hearing? Like what are customers saying when they're coming to your door? Uh, what's the feedback that you're receiving in store, right? I think mm-hmm. that's, that's really, I think, pivotal. And I think that was really the feedback that was necessary for us to translate that into like actionable insights, as I call it. Yeah, I mean, it seems like there's still going to be so much work around getting those insights and incentivizing, you know, the employees to share that. But now consumers are basically coming to any retail shop expecting the same thing that they can get from online. It's like, yeah, of course I should be able to have this. Of course I should be able to see inventory, talk to you quickly, you know, get what I want. But I see there's gonna be a big catch up too. Even just going into different stores around, um, going in different stores around Austin right now and being like, oh, this still feels like 2019 right now. Why? What are we doing here? I mean, how do you see that evolving? It's also fascinating too, because you know you you bring that up. Like your store experience in Austin will probably be much different than a store experience in San Francisco. And mm-hmm. even under the context of COVID, I think that's going to feel a lot more amplified as well in in today's industry. Mm-hmm. I think what that touches on is really what I love to refer to as like a decentralized model, where I think you're what we're witnessing in marketing and in omni-channel experiences and retail experiences is sort of these little pockets, these little hubs of community-oriented messagings and team structures, right? So a retail store is no longer just a retail store. It's actually a space for you to welcome members of your community. I think it's it's a space for you to um, engage with local businesses, right? Um, that was actually an aspect that I love the most about working at Lululemon was just how they really understood, I think, the power of community, right? Mm-hmm. And how a retail store could actually be an extension of that local market or that local demographic. And it didn't have to just be a place for business transactions, right? It didn't have to be a place just for you to go in and buy stretchy yoga pants, as everyone likes to say. For some, it could be a resource, right? Like I took a trip down to Key West, Florida. Of course, this was like, you know, before the pandemic happened. And I wanted to know like what yoga studio to go to, what coffee shop I should go to. And the first place I went was to a little lemon store and, you know, ask their community members. So where do you go to work out? Where do you Mm -hmm. go to get this coffee? And it's just, it's amazing how I think retail environments have become a source of information um, for a lot of members of the community. And I think the brands that um, are adapting to that mindset, I think are the ones that will really in the end come out winning and will be stronger, I think in today's industry. I love that. I mean, there's such such a good example. How does a company do that though? Like how does a brand pull, you know, a piece of the playbook from Lululemon and create that community, do it in a way that people actually want to engage with. They trust it where they'll go and ask advice, like where's the best coffee shop and buy from it. I mean, they essentially nailed every aspect of what every brand probably wants, but what did they do differently to, you know, get all of that? You know, I think it comes down to the original question that you asked me. I think, you know, having that honest conversation as an organization as to what are you most uniquely qualified to give to your audience, right? Mm-hmm. And I think for Lululemon, again, I'm probably not in a place to to speak about this because I, I wasn't there in its inception, but I can only imagine that, you know, when the founders sat down and, and analyzed that exact question, I think they knew that the power rested in community, right? So they made a conscious choice to really embed that in the organization's structure as well as their brand DNA, right? And I think from that, brand values and and mission statements kind of evolved. And it serves as a filter, right? As you grow and expand. I think for a brand that maybe is not rooted in community and and is wanting to maybe shift into that world, I will continuously say that I think you need to ask yourself, like, are you in a place that you can authentically play in that ecosphere? Because if you can't be authentic, 
I, I really don't think you should invest the time. I think you, you should really, really embrace what makes you unique and what it is that you can deliver to, to a customer in a unique way. Yep. Yep. I love that. So earlier you're talking about, you know, Instagram is where it's at. It's got all these amazing features that can help a brand learn about their audience, answer all the questions they need. What else are you betting on? Like what other platforms are you bullish on right now? So VR, virtual experiences, augmented reality. I am so excited for that future. I think we're, I think if anything, COVID and remote living and Brands having to force themselves, like how else can we engage with brands that is interested in an e-commerce platform, I think have really forced us to kind of reconsider other ways to bring customers along the journey and the creative experience. And I think augmented reality has certainly put us in a place, I think, of a lot of excitement. Um, My favorite to date has really been the Billie Eilish and the Moment Factory um, partnership. They created an out of this world, no pun intended, experience where they really transported her audience and her fan base into this imaginary world, right? And the question was really what happens to you when you fall asleep, right? So it was really this dreamlike state. And it was just, I think, a beautiful representation, I think, of what the future of content can look and feel like. And at the same time, I think it really challenges this archaic notion that digital experiences don't create meaningful connection. Mm-hmm. Having VR and having augmented reality has really challenged that way of thinking because it can. It can a- absolutely transport you into a different world. It can absolutely create an emotion and it can also create an action, right? And I think that universe excites me tremendously. And if I could shift my focus and my attention, I think it would really be in a place where I'm playing day in and day out with that type of environment for sure. I love that. I mean, this is something I've been looking into more from the crypto side and these crypto okay. cities. <laughs> same, same though. I mean, I was learning all about these like digital land sales and getting in there early. They're building this entire world and people go and interact there and do, you know, essentially commerce in this world. Yeah. But to think about it from a brand perspective, how can a brand play in VR? Because, you know, Billie Eilish, I get it. You know, concert, go somewhere to a different land. I love that idea. But if I'm a brand, I mean, what kind of opportunities do you see right now? Well, I mean, you know, again, not wanting to kind of go back to COVID, but I think COVID really kind of shed light on our inability to kind of go outside, right? And again, like be in studio or be in environments that felt very natural to us. And again, I'm speaking in these terms, like assuming that you're probably the athletic person who does yoga, but if it's not yoga, it could be, you know, you wanting to go to a restaurant or a concert or whatever it is. Um, But in the context of yoga, you know, I think there were a lot of studios that were actually introducing this notion of like virtual reality in which that even though you can physically be present in the yoga studio, you could absolutely uh, be transported there. And I think, again, it was a way to just, you know, create that connection and create that meaning um, and really bring people into one digital world, Mm -hmm. right. Um, That really felt physical visually. And I think the brands that understand and harness that power, I think they'll, they'll start using that as a mechanism potentially to either create content, right? So one way that I could think this coming to life and actually it was a project that I worked on. It was one of the first big projects that I worked on at Reebok. At the time, Google and YouTube had just started partnering on VR experiences. And we did an entire kind of documentary campaign experience where we brought audiences 
basically along the ride for, for emerging athletes, right? And it was really a way, again, for you to be transported into the physical spaces in which they train day in and day out. And I think for a customer to have that behind the scenes look, yep. it's really one of a kind, right? Like if you can imagine like, this in an era of like a Michael Jordan, right? Like to sort of like have that unfiltered access, right? To an athlete's before or after or even during experience. I think that's a great place to be in, in terms of like VR experiences and sort of building that digital world and that digital infrastructure for at least athletic brands, which is where yep. I kind of operate in. Yeah. I mean, I can imagine so many different experiences to, you know, leverage VR in, not just from shopping, that's just the after effect of, you know, bringing yeah. customers from all over the world into the same place. I mean, instant way to kind of build community, meet people. I think that's what COVID taught everyone is, you know, we were kind of in our own little bubbles and we had gotten to this place where uh, the only time you maybe saw people who didn't live near you was in work meetings. And then yeah. all of a sudden you're like, oh, but now I need more community. And now, you know, it's not just my work friends I need. Yeah. yeah. And so starting to broaden that, going into a whole different world and being able to, you know, have an experience together, you've got your community, and then you can also shop while you're there and maybe even kind of change the experience as well, where it's like, oh, can you try that on for me? Oh, I'd like to see a model, you know, showing me this outfit who looks kind of like me. Like it's this entire thing of like shaping where you're at and be able to control it too. Yeah. And I think uh, Warby Parker did that. Oh, did they? Yeah. I think any, before any other brand kind of caught on to that, right. The idea mm-hmm. of essentially creating a virtual experience in which you could try on the products. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that notion that you, you actually said something that gave me goosebumps, that idea that you could in real time, see the product on someone that looked and felt like you. I think that mm-hmm. that's really important as well. And I think that's a shift that we're, we're seeing more and more. And I think if anything, I would give credit to VR. Yep. Yeah. We're going to be looking back and being like, why did we just look at, you know, oh, this model is five, four and a hundred pounds and me being like, okay, so that's not me. So if I was much taller and bigger, how would it look on me? How would it flow? I mean, we're going to look back at them and be like, why did we ever buy things based off of one picture? I mean, I want to see how it moves and fits and looks on someone. And I should be able to, you know, choose that experience if I'm not going in the store and trying it on. Every time there should be no return rates unless it's a bad product. I love it. Do you want to work in marketing? (laughs) (laughs) All right. The last thing I want to kind of touch on was what brands are you watching? Kind of, you know, keep an eye on the industry. I mean, who's doing a really good job when it comes to branding where you're like, I keep tabs on them every week to see what they're doing. You know, it's, it's interesting. I think I'm going to go outside of my, of my respected industry. I'm really fascinated by what Spotify and Netflix have done, I think, to the industry. I think Netflix has really capitalized, I think, on a audience base as well as on a like perpetual habit that I think we as consumers are starting to have more and more of like in this digital age. And they've just managed to build this empire that I am so in admiration of. Um, I also love what they're doing as a platform in terms of exposing younger audiences to different types of content um, with documentaries being at the forefront. I am a huge advocate of documentary. In fact, one of my first experiences was, you know, working in post-production for documentaries. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think, you know, I, I give them so much credit for just, you know, having that vision, um, having that ambition. You know, when I think back of where they were, 12 years ago or first heard their name and where they are today, you know, being nominated for Oscars. 
and just the amount of insights and data that they have on us as like an audience and as a viewership and how they translate that data into building out specific content programs and building out specific platforms on their channel. Everyone else is chasing them. And I think yeah. that is a gift, right? To me, they're like the Kleenex of the, uh, <laughs> they're probably going to hate hearing that, but they've, they've sort of defined online streaming, right? Mm-hmm. Like they're what, the idea and the notion of online streaming did not exist before Netflix came into the picture. And all brands now are sort of chasing them and they want to compete. And I think, yeah, that's a brand that I go to, I think, as a source of inspiration, which is weird to say. Maybe it wasn't yeah. the one you were hoping to hear. And oh, I actually, I mean, right when you said that, I'm like, oh, obviously you're watching Formula One. You're seeing the branded content <laughs> yeah. angle. And then you just yeah. went to the whole platform play, which also equally is inspiring. I mean, we've written entire stories at Mission around, you know, Netflix and how they basically like killed off their entire revenue stream to bet on another big one. And I mean, inspiring all around. So I love the answer. I agree. It's like making big, bold and audacious Mm -hmm. decisions and just watching like the ripple effect happen. And yeah, I think it's just, they're definitely a brand that I go to as inspiration. Mm -hmm. Uh, Another one is Spotify. You know, again, I think the brands that excite me are the brands that understand their customers, right? Mm -hmm. And they're catering their business decisions based on that understanding. Like there's no better brand, I think, to that exposes that and showcases that as Spotify. You know, even the types of content and the marketing campaigns that they're putting out out there all originate from their customer insights, comes from data. You got to give credit, I think, to a tech company like Spotify where they're consistently operating in this like multi-dynamic world. Because if you can only imagine between like licensing music rights and like yeah. managing talent and branching into podcasts as well as, well as music, I mean, it's, it's got to be like a living nightmare. Yeah. Every time they have the opportunity to put a piece of campaign out there, a piece of content, it's so powerful. And you can see it like from a shareability aspect, from an engagement aspect, people are excited, people are waiting for it. Um, and yeah, I just, again, like it's, it's so simple their marketing, but it's so effective and it's done in such a authentic way. And like, it comes mm-hmm. back to that topic that you and I were talking about. It's, it's authentic in nature to who they are as a brand, as well as a business. And I really admire them for that. Yep. Yeah. I love it. Anyone who wants to hear more about Spotify, we had their old CMO on, it's not their CMO now, but uh, Seth. So go to Marketing Trends, our other podcast. It was really good. I think we did two parts with him awesome. and he was epic and you're like, now I know why the company is where it's at now and all of the decisions that were made to get them where they are now. Cool. All right. Well, let's move over to the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud. This is where I ask a question and you have a minute or less to answer. First one, what's up next on your reading list or your podcast queue? Oh, great. Um, where the crawdogs sing. I have not actually heard of this one. Let me look it up. It's, I bought it two years ago. <laughs> it's collected dust, but I've made a commitment to finish it before the end of August. So that is on my reading list for sure. Wow. Goodreads, a million votes, 4.8 stars. Looks like a good one. Cool. Yeah. All right. If you were to have a podcast or show, TV show, movie, whatever you want it to be, what would it be about? And who would your first episode or guest be? I think I'd have to do a podcast that is centered around people, places, and products and how each of those sort of define the course of your existence and how they they really shape who you are as a human. And Mm -hmm. I feel like anyone could speak or relate to any one of those um, elements. Oh, I like that. Who should be the sponsor for that? 
Like you already probably have a couple in mind. I don't know. I actually have never been asked as a question. I don't know. Maybe something will originate here. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Here comes the show. Anyone who wants to sponsor it, Max is ready for you. <laughs> what is the biggest disruption coming to e-commerce over the next year? Hands down, virtual experiences. Love it. We already know your love for VR, so that makes sense. Next one, what is the nicest thing anyone's ever done for you? I will say, so I, I was working at Reebok. I had a really tough day. Like I, I had a really, it was the first time I cried in a bathroom. Like, you know, when you just kind of like want to hide your yep. tears, you go, you go. Yep. Do. I've been there. And I stumbled across someone who worked across from me and she asked me what was wrong. And I said, nothing, everything will be okay as we usually do. And the next day when I showed up, she bought me daisies, which she knew were my favorite. And she had a little bouquet of daisies there with a little note. And I had only interacted with this person once. And I thought it was just mm. such a genuine, kind gesture. And I've, I've carried that moment since. Oh, I love that. That's great. All right, Maxwell, thank you so much for coming on the show, sharing all your brand knowledge. Where can people find out more about you and maybe even hire you? So they could visit me at maxsummit.com. Yes, that's right. I basically like bought out everything that has my name on it. Such a good um, brand. Yes, it was like my little like own like brand marketing. Love it. But yes, uh, my website, you can visit me at maxsummit.com. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn again. Max Summit, you can always find me. I mean, if you Google Max Summit, I'm probably Max Summit Instagram, Max Summit LinkedIn, Max Summit Twitter. So yeah, Max Summit at Yahoo. There you go, Max Summit at Gmail. There you go, <laughs> at MySpace, all the things. Yeah, so I'm Max Summit everything. But um, yeah, I love connecting with people. I love building stories. Um, even for like virtual connects or coffee, like doesn't have to be business related. Uh, I'm open and I'm here. I love it. Thanks so much. Thank you. everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, you'll probably also love our e-commerce newsletter. To get it delivered straight to your inbox every week, sign up at mission.org slash upnext in commerce. Thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Upnext in Commerce podcast. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in partnering with us to bring your brand to a growing audience of e-commerce experts, reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to get the conversation started.